Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing the evolution of online culture. Nick, go for it. Evolution of online culture. What, what's on your mind? Yeah, so this actually is a question that was posed to us by a ah. friend of the podcast and indeed former guest, Chris Lear, um, said, uh, asked us, you know, what, what, is on, what do online games tell us about the evolution of social norms? And um, uh, thought it's a really interesting question and um, relates to lots of other things, really. But, you know, so the, this question of what what makes online cultures different, what, you know, first of all, different, maybe different games. Uh, you know, are, are there different online cultures with different uh, games, but also more generally things like, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn, it's kind of more or less the same people, but very different culture on those on those sites. And I think this ties into quite a fundamental question about culture um one of the one of the sort of big debates and and mysteries really about culture which is yeah is culture driven by fundamentals is it mm. driven by extraneous factors do people does culture evolve precisely to you know to solve the problems and to deal with the issues of a certain environment or is culture more of a historical accident and um you know, so so that, for example, you the the sort of um, fundamentals first approach might say, well, the you know the reason that uh, um, f farming culture and hunting culture have evolved differently are that you know farming can only happen in certain places in the world uh, where there's relatively um, you know fertile soil, uh, and as a farmer, you know you you're settled and you're interacting with the same people and you live in larger communities, and so naturally you end up with a culture that's geared around those specific issues. Um, whereas uh, you know someone who's a bit more sort of culture first might say, well, no, the point is that um, you know that they it, hunting cultures uh, are, are more. Are, you know find themselves more able to hunt so the the kinds of cultures which are you know which which have hunting compatible norms are the ones which will end up going out hunting and the ones that have farming compatible norms will end up farming and um so so that's that's a big a big kind of live debate really i would say that you know as an economist my background pushes me towards the former i would tend to think that um that uh you know that that the environment comes first and we solve problems yeah. in the environment um but anthropologists tend to go the other way around the point about online environments is it gives mm. us a chance really to test this you know how, how how do people behave online uh and which of those theories does it help us distinguish between okay i think that's nicely framed um i've got a couple of things i want to mention may or may not be relevant um but i've got i think i can wrap this up really quickly because i've got two cool. answers which are opposite, but are both correct to answer oh, this question God. for Chris. Sounds so the first great. one is actually, it sort of answers it, but just thinking about, because I think one of the things we were thinking about was Facebook and LinkedIn, okay? Now I know that we probably want to talk about online gaming a bit more, but nonetheless, there's two sort of different social media there. I actually think they're not that different these days. And this is more a rant about LinkedIn, because LinkedIn used to be quite professional, but I think LinkedIn has become more like Facebook. Um, because when I, st I start to see posts on there, these kind of grandiose, um, emotional, um, humble brags, 
And to me, it just looks like... Um, Maybe I've just been reading your post, Nick. I don't know. Um, but it's, it just looks like Facebook to me. And I just don't, I can't understand why. And in fact, and the, and the below the line comments, whatever you call them, they're, well, the comments, they are also sort of similarly fractious, um, but also quite emotional. And I, and I found myself thinking, well, when did LinkedIn become like Facebook? You know, um, that's the first thing. The second thing is all sorts of people have both a LinkedIn profile and a Facebook profile. Are they different on each, right? This is what one of the things we're talking about. And it makes me think about why is it that when I'm driving that everyone else on the road is a complete git and they are <laughs> terrible, right? But going back to when I was a teacher, I think in 10 years of teaching, I maybe taught one person who at the end of the day I thought was really not a very nice person. Mm. And that's across, you know, thousands probably of people. So how is it that, you know, and, and some of those people probably went out driving, right? So why is it that everyone in a classroom is a wonderful person, but everyone in a car is a terrible person? And so it leans, I, so I, I think, you know, it's, it's the environment and where you are, which is that, is that more the um, anthropological one? I can't remember what you said, but um, yeah, anyway. Well, those are... uh, I, I feel that what you've done is restate the question okay. rather than answering it. Anyway, um, Peter, pick it up. Uh, yeah, well, this, I think that you you hear hear on something interesting there, Fraser, where you have two different environments, and assuming that they're 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 samples of people from the same population, one in one place they all appear nice and behave well and get on and treat each other well, and in another place where they don't they don't so much, and it's 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 much more sort of fraught and competitive. And I think like yeah, I think you're right. I think it is the environment, and I I've, I lean very strongly towards the former. I think culture is a totally emergent property of, of 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 humans and where they find themselves and where they find uh, mm. you'll you develop to be a hunter or a farmer depending on what is the most available source of food um mm. and your culture will evolve as a result of that so um the, the yeah so but, but i think online communities as nick says give a really good opportunity to um examine this and um and it's quite big business, quite important. So there's lots of money riding on it, and lots of people deriving a lot of sort of entertainment and spending a lot of time doing it. Um, I, I came across a really interesting um, comparison between two online, big online communities. One which is League of Legends, and which is one which is StarCraft. Mm. Um, superficially, quite similar kinds of games in the sense that it's sort of a role-playing game where you are combating non-player character enemies and there's opportunities for collaboration there's opportunities for uh competition and you're, ba you're basically sort of fighting monsters casting spells and swinging swords um but they, but they have two very different cultures one right. league of legends has come under a lot of criticism for being quite unfriendly and uh and, and there's lots of sort of potentially lots of bullying and things that go online and comments mm. are between players are often mean and sarcastic rather than sort of friendly and helpful whereas starcraft there's very little competition there's very little uh very little of that and it's much more sort of amenable and nice and friendly um and it, and and the, the the so the articles i've read on this seem to boil it down to just the way that the way that the environment in which players find themselves is set up is the key things and i've got a number of um uh, oh. factors which uh, i've sort of boiled down uh, which we could go into but yeah it's it's sort of to do with how the game's designed like how what's the reward mechanism um what's the sort of criticality of being in a team versus being a sort of single player um 
what what's the um uh, how how the game is launched is in terms of like how it's pushed out, how it's published to people is important is it so is it is it hype driven or is it more word of mouth and mm. so the nature of the community develops around that um whether there's moderation uh and how the moderation works uh and indeed the the so to, to, to league of legends credit they've been doing a lot of work in trying to make things better and they've actually got quite advanced sort of um, social systems going on, so they now have a judicial mm. system in there where, where they have uh, they have uh, they have players. Are, I don't know how they're elected or if they if they are volunteer, but they they basically run tribunals um, like and decide sort of, whether yeah. or not people. Well, it's like it's like the British judicial system. You get judged by your peers. Oh, um, okay. Uh, you, yeah, so they run tribunals and decide what sanctions need to occur for various wow. sort of misdemeanors on online. So yeah. Um, very interesting, and 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 because it's all digital online, you everything's written down, and recorded, so you, mm. you can do a lot of experimentation on on it potentially, and mm. a lot of sort of unpicking of what what happened, um, and uh, yeah, it's it, it is quite a fascinating area. So it's, this is but it's, fascinating, it, but it mirrors. Yeah. I think it mirrors mirrors um, IRL. Uh, it mirrors like the, the on driving versus um, classroom, because I think the key thing there, I think Fraser, is the classroom is you all have a shared common aim. And it's not competitive. What was IRL? Um, What's IRL? In real life. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> classroom's not competitive and you have a shared aim, which is... Yeah. The, your, your, uh, whereas driving, you all have completely different aims and it's competitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think there's I other mean, things with driving, actually, but, I, which is I, you I can't communicate. So, but Nick, Yes, Nick. I, and I think that's a key thing that uh, uh, Peter could have mentioned. was was just... And, uh, but other... Th other th yeah, you could, not only can you communicate, but it's actively... Um, you know, you can't you can't even communicate non-verbally because you can't see the person in front yeah. of you and stuff. All yeah. of these things, and I think those are the sort of factors we want to drill into. Um, but I think it is worth drawing a distinction at this stage between several things that we might be talking about. You know how um, uh, there's a, an oft-quoted uh, saying: uh, no one actually knows who said this first. But the thing about rugby and football, that, um, mm. and it's expressed in various different ways, but it it, it boils down to. You know, on rugby tends to be played by uh, well, rugby um, union tends to be played by sort of um, you know toffs, and um, it's much more popular at public schools, uh, and yet they behave like uh, unless you're in Wales, unless right? You're in Wales. But okay, sure. Let's give the quote. Um, give the but, well. It's something like you know, uh, football is a gentleman's game played by hooligans, and rugby is a hooligans game played by gentlemen. And I, and I think the idea is that the culture surrounding football is a lot more rough and tumble, but the game itself is sort of, you know, quite civilised, whereas, whereas rugby involves a lot of fighting on the pitch, and mm. um, but is much more civilised in terms of the way that the fans behave. And, and you know, so the, um, that is uh, a distinction I think we need to make here. And in fact, I think there's th three levels that we need to talk about in um, when we're talking about online, which is firstly, the online, the, get, the behaviour in-game. So this is... You know, what is considered acceptable to do in games? So, for example, a lot of games uh, allow you to kill your squad mates, for example. It's perfectly legal to do that, you know, like you're, mm. you can kill the other people on your team. Um, the game does not prevent or, you know, a lot of games don't prevent you from doing that. But, you know, is that considered unacceptable behavior? 
Uh, and there's a good analogy there with with the way that people consider it a fair way of playing board games, for example. You know, are there things that that are just considered mean and nasty and which you shouldn't do? And um, so there's that behaviour in the game, right? Mm. Then there's the 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 culture of um, you know sort of the meta game or if you like the kind of the the things that aren't strictly about what you're doing but sort of the way you're doing it so how you communicate with people you know what how nice or nasty or encouraging or uh, derogatory you know the the languages that people use when they're talking to each other in in the game and then i think there's the the wider community the sort of sub forums and and subreddits and stuff that will be associated with that game um is the community nice you know if you like in real life when we're outside the environment of the game so there's there's quite a few things that they needn't go hand in hand and i mean you know if you just take something like um a game about killing people can can still in gen you could have a nice culture about a game that involved killing people and similarly you could have a horrible culture about a game that was about growing crops or something um or can you you know but i think i think it's worth thinking about those different levels on which we're talking about um um, I think we're covering this really nicely. I think between what you've said there, Nick, um, and and what you were saying, Peter, about those specific two examples of the things that can feed into the culture, we've nailed it. Have we? I mean, well, what I've else we got to say? I've got a bit of data. Go on. Well, it's not. I'm not. Um, so we're only halfway through. We've got to. We've yeah. got to. Well, I think I I do want to hear more about Peter's theories, but I just have compiled a table of things that uh, I, I picked up as, as sort of potential explanations for, for why people might be, why a community might be toxic or non-toxic. Specific like, to online or just general? Yes, on specifically games. Okay. Because you can find endless lists uh, of the most toxic games, uh, you know, the most toxic communities. Doesn't really distinguish uh, in the way that I would like between that kind of behaviour in game Grief, so griefing as it's known online, you know, when, you're, when you're doing th- griefing is when you're doing things that you're that the game allows you to do, but which people don't like. Um, so, so it's spelled uh, G R I E F, as in yeah. grief, as in really? the sort of ex- emotion you might, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so okay. griefing that includes stuff like you know harassing other players or destroying stuff that other players have built, um, killing your teammates, playing it slowly. Um, constantly pausing, uh, going away from keyboard, which kind of disrupts other people's, you know, so you're just standing there and, and, and that can affect other people. Um, uh, tra- have you heard of training? No. It's training? Where, it's where, yeah, it's where you go and get a load of monsters to follow you. So you wander around picking up monsters who follow you and you then take the big train of monsters into oh. a friendly area and leave the, mon- leave, leave the monsters <laughs> to kill everyone else. That sounds brilliant. Um, smurfing, do you know what that is? No, smurfing is where you come up with is where you um cheat this is a sort of metagame cheat really but it's 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 where you give yourself a good ranking um by setting up lots of fake accounts which you then lose to your real account um oh, and then and Lord. then that raises your rating um but on the flip side of that actually is a, apparently something that really really good players just to annoy new players or make yeah. life hard for them will um deliberately lose against them and that then means that they end up with a massive increase in their rating uh, and so the next match, they're going to be facing someone who's really, really good. Um, so there's, these are all sort of methods of griefing and trolling. Um, Who has time for this? But anyway, keep going. So so anyway, I, I got the four, you know, I, I picked four things that crop up on all these lists as the most toxic. And I found a bunch of things. Uh, well, three. I found picked three that crop up on lists that I found of like what's the least toxic, what are the nicest communities. And then there's an interesting, uh, an interesting one that is sort of in both, which I will 
uh, cover at the end. But so the the four really horrible ones. Peter's already mentioned League of Legends, also Counter Strike, Global Offensive, I think it's called Dota Two, and Call of Duty. Those are the my four most toxic, and the three that crop up as as least toxic, friendly, like actively friendly communities, are Factorio, Elite Dangerous, and Stardew Valley. Right um, now, key features of these of those four uh, of those four um, highly uh, toxic ones, three are free to play. Right, mm. none of the three, all of the ones that are um, considered nice, are. Uh, sort of 10 20 pounds where, where does fortnite sit Nick? fortnite uh well i i it, 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 it usually i've seen it on some lists of toxic communities yeah um so so there's cost right cost equals free free to play you know i'm just saying is associated here in this very small data set with toxicity um in-game interaction right if there is necessary in-gaming interaction um you know in league of legends you it doesn't online you can't play online unless you're interacting with other players likewise for those other ones um whereas with the nice games it's optional so elite dangerous you can choose to switch other players off if you want um length of matches in those toxic ones they're all short in all of the um uh, in all of the nice ones they're long so mm. they involve a time investment then if you're playing that's multiplayer, interesting because the, the the analysis i saw and it, but this was analysis just between the two between two different games so that actually the length of game if it's a long game and you're more vested in it you're more likely to be nasty because yeah. things, if things go wrong you've wasted your precious that's interesting hour of play yeah i i well i think and this actually probably i think, it, I think it the... might be i think it might be to do with the ma- like an individual kind of match length, yeah as it were rather than if it's like a in like if you're if you're developing a character and there's no sort of there's no like break points in your in your game. Uh, it's just sort of open ended and and uh, iterative rather than sort of little uh, rather than chunked rather than discrete chunks of play. Maybe that's... yeah. I th- I, well, I think but I think that probably brings me on to the next column, which is PvP. Can you actually how how badly can you hurt other players? You know, in in those. Um, what does PvP stand uh, for? Oh, play, player versus player. So, okay. uh, which is common to all of those uh, toxic ones, uh, okay. and is only at best optional. So, in Factorio, you you can um, theoretically shoot each other, but um, you know, you you I, I mean, you you don't lose. I think I think you know that that's that's the key thing. And then and then I looked at age. Everyone says, oh yeah, we've got loads of young players. It's awful. But I, first of all, not very good data, but um, not a great deal of evidence there. Um, ranking systems um, and finally player base so uh, here we go this is quite a big one League of Legends doesn't have it's not on Steam so I couldn't get the data for that but at the time I checked which was earlier this morning Counter Strike had 450,000 players who played in like the last 10 minutes Dota 2 280,000 Nice games, Factorio, 7,000. Elite Dangerous, 7,000. Stardew Valley, 20,000. So there we are. Now, I'm, I I think over to Peter now to drill into some of those theories about what might be going on here. But that's that's the data. So basically, the, the to summarise, the, the, the four most toxic games, most of them are free to play. They all have sort of enforced in-game interaction and PvP. They're generally short matches, short matchups. You get matched up with someone and it's, you know, a matter of a few minutes. Um, And they uh, have sort of ranking systems and they generally have a lot of players. Mm. 
What does it all mean, Peter? Well, I don't know, but I could posit. I could probably posit some ideas. Um, Go on. Uh, just, just another bit of data that I've spotted. Um, there, so the League, League of Legends have got this sort of uh, like a like a human behavioural insights kind of team that they've set up to try to address the 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 problems with their community. So, the, 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 to their credit, they seem to be doing something to to address it. And they, they've they, so they've hired uh, well. This is a slightly old article, so it might things might have changed now. But they've hired a sort of behavioural psychologist to head this team. Um, and an interesting figure that they they that they, 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 they pointed out was that um, only is that you'd think the the sort of prevailing understanding at that time before they started doing their analysis was that oh well we just have a bunch of bad people and if we ban those bad people everything will be fine again mm. and it's there's a sort of there's some rotten eggs that we need to get rid of but actually as it turns out that um that, that they account for like one percent of the player base who were considered right. bad at the time and they they they, they collectively produce about five only five percent of the overall bad behavior so they're still Most, doing they're shouldering a lot more of the burden oh yeah they're, of, they're of pulling a lot but they're, they're still <laughs> yeah they're pulling a lot they're for pulling a lot of weight but um <laughs> Uh, the, but the most bad, so ninety-five percent of bad behaviour comes from just good, on average, good, well-meaning players having a bad day and kicking off, mm. and getting frustrated mm. because they've yes. had a bad day at work or whatever, and bringing that in game. So, so maybe um, it's a really positive thing that they do that instead of kicking the cat or something. I don't know. Well, maybe yeah, but it's but it sort of it spoils it for other people. I think it does. Um, Who may then go on and go offline and kick the cat. Well, exactly. Yeah, they pass it forward. Yeah, so that I, that's interesting. I think that that feels like it's kind of like normal life because if you it's sort of normal life, there are a few nasty people that you don't want anything to do with. Mm. But most of the pain that you, or sort of most of the sort of suffering you suffer from other people is just other people having a bad day. Mm. And and you you probably notice it yourself when you snap at somebody or are rude to somebody. And why was why did I just do that? Oh, because I'm tired. Oh, because I. I, I somebody else was mean to me earlier, and I'm in a bad mood. So mm. it's like you know, you know it, it's it's it feels like it's just like real life. Um, but in terms of like why you you have the trends that Nick has spotted, uh, I'm not I'm not sure I'm qualified really to sort of explain. But maybe we could suggest some ideas. Um, so one thing that I spotted that League of Legends versus StarCraft. Um, League of Legends is a team game, so you have a team, uh, and there are there's big leagues of, of teams, and teams are I think lots of teams are often quite static. So you have a group of friends who arrange to play at the same time, and they form a team, and they have they play other teams. Um, but then there, in order to fill gaps in teams, obviously people just drop in. So um, mm. and that's where a lot of the problem comes. You get people on your team who are not as good as you. Or are doing behaving in a way that's not appropriate for your team, and they they they, they are then the subjects of lots of of lots of um, abuse. Um, versus a game where it's just you know you are your own team. You don't form teams. So yeah, I think that there's the the, the the key difference that they pointed out there was like what the um, if it's if it's just if it's just you just got to look after yourself, and you're kind of on an equal footing as anybody else. Um, Versus, if you're in a team, you need to comply with like the social norms of the team as well as the social norms of the whole game, um, and it's much more competitive. And you've, you 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 you're under pressure not to let your team down. You're under pressure to sort of punish those in your team who aren't doing the right thing in order to, mm. to progress. Um, whereas if you're on your own, really, you know it doesn't matter if you sort of 
cock up because it's just you and um, you've got no one to let down as it were so I think that's what yeah I yeah way. I think that's that is uh, interesting I, I was just thinking about the, uh, the what, what you would predict from game theory um, one of the one of the key issues about uh, you know in in, in um, well, one one of the key findings, I suppose, from it's sort of game theory, but the the evolution of cooperation, which is this book that Rob Axelrod um, wrote in the seventies, I think, and um, uh, looked at what the circumstances need to be for you to evolve co- cooperative norms, um, and he used uh, examples like you know in the tre- in the trenches of World War One, where you know they would end up having a kind of equilibrium where neither side would want to shoot the other side because it, you know they just fire back, and so they mm. kind of settle down into cooperation. And um, what, one of the uh, one of the really robust findings from looking at uh, you know iterated games like the Prisoner's Dilemma is that if you're playing the same person. Uh, or if there's a sufficiently high probability of you set playing the same person, um, you might evolve cooperative approaches, which you won't uh, if there's a sufficiently. So, so I think you know if if there's so if in other words if you're kind of so, so, yeah if you're going to see the same people over and over again, you've got an incentive to cooperate in a way that you haven't mm. um, if they're totally randomised. And I think that feels to me like you know so large player bases for start yeah. off, absent any other consideration, and of course. That's where free to play comes in. Now, it might be nice to imagine that, um, uh, you know, the, the point about not having free to play is that you only get wealthy, educated, civilized people in. But I think probably right. the, the, the main thing is that um, actually it simply increases the size of the player base. Yeah. And, yeah. and that in itself is going to lead to a problem. Mm. I, have you heard of the um, Eternal September I've not, but make your uh, point, and we need to wrap up shortly. Uh, okay. I've a question I want to well, ask. Keep, just going. Really, keep going. I think I, I feel like I want to keep going. But the um, uh, the Eternal September was, I think, 1993 when AOL first sent its its first mail shots of mm. like come and join the internet um, out, and of course mm. the internet up till then had been the uh, uh, really the domain of ac- of sort of people in academia and engineers and technicians and coders and um, various sort of cyber nerds and stuff. And mm. there was quite, uh, you know, nicely evolved etiquette, which mm. a word called netiquette you never hear anymore. But um, mm. uh, and and of course, when you suddenly got this huge influx of of, um, of total noobs, uh, the that culture was destroyed forever. Um, it couldn't be gate kept. There weren't enough people to gatekeep. Mm. And I so I, I think there's that. That's that that just issue about sheer numbers. You know, you've got a got a, a mm. small community. It's going to be nicer. Yeah. Um, and uh, but but also, I mean, I think I think one interesting thing, and I, I I don't know what this means exactly, but I think see, my instinct was that having ranking, having like really distinct meritocratic ranking, how many wins have you got that pushes you up? You know, the higher you are on the ladder, the better. That what that ought to do is remove the necessity for other forms of signalling, e.g., being an ass. Um, because you, you tend to find that you know when you have a purely skill-based sort of meritocratic um, community that you don't need you, there's no point in trying to use other forms of signaling to gain superiority because you you have it there it's subjective and it's written down but that is not the case it mm. seems that you know actually where you have aggressively competitive ranking you also get aggressive competitive um, you know yeah. scumbags yeah well actually, uh, playing I've the game. There- there are uh, online for I think so. I think Server Vault and um, Stack Overflow are a good example of this. So, you as a your your profile has sort of two measures. One 
is how many contributions you've made, which is kind of your, which translates to your sort of overall seniority. And then you have a separate measure, which is like how many people have liked and sort of reposted or, or, or sort of approved of what you've put in, which is more like kind of kudos. So there's two, oh, and right. this, this is this is true. I don't know if it's, it's, it's League of Legends, but certain, certain online games have this effect, they have this thing. So you have your overall like player level, which kind of dictates how hard the game is for you. And it's sort of an indication of how far you've got in the game, how many enemies you've killed or whatever. And then you have a separate user Q dot, a vote by other players who, mm. if they liked playing with you, will say, yep, nice game, nice guy, and, and give you a kudos point, which is completely separate from your seniority. And I, I, I understand that that is a useful driver for um, provide, you know, for moderating behavior. behavior. Yeah, yeah. great. Um, I, sorry, just one thing, go, one more go, data quick. point before you before you push us forward. Inevitably, uh, the uh, one interesting sort of observation, really, which is I had a search. The one, the one that I didn't mention when I was talking about this game so it was Rocket League because it appears on both What's most toxic Rocket? and least toxic Rocket League. You're kind of in cars, and it's like football, but in cars. You've got this giant ball. You're mm. trying to get into the opponent's. It's very high um, pace. Uh, it's it's very yeah. it's unforgiving for beginners. It takes a long time to get good at it, um, but it is yeah, it's highly entertaining. So game. the the uh, I searched for Rocket League toxic, and um, essentially, is a giant peak in the latter half of 2020 on Google Trends. Lo and behold, what happened at the end of 2020? Rocket League went free to play. Ooh. So there you are, you know, essentially an in, influx of scumbags. The other thing I think just worth mentioning, because someone is going to be out there shouting uh, this at the podcast, if we don't mention it, which is, of course, that people can choose in, in a way you can't in real life. In a lot of ways, you can choose where you go. So there might well be a sorting effect. Um, you know, people who are scumbags want to go and play games like Counter-Strike uh, mm. and people who are really nice want to play Factorio. Um, well, not not because of something to do with those games or the forums, but just because that they, they have evolved a reputation for having sort of quite brutal cultures versus quite mm. friendly cultures. Mm. And people who aren't friendly don't really want to go and spend time with a bunch of friendly people. Maybe. Nick, Nick you beautifully have moved us on to uh, the question that I want to ask. Um, which is, I want to ask you, looking back, or maybe even currently, um, probably in real life, but it doesn't have to be, what's the worst, most toxic community or environment that you've ever had the displeasure, or maybe pleasure, maybe pleasure, of being within? Um, and the opposite, what's the nicest, most collaborative community or environment in which you've um, operated? I've got both. Um, whenever you, do you want me to start? Yeah, why not? I've so, got an idea, but yeah, yeah. okay. So for me, um, I can think back of various toxic communities. One, probably my school, which was a sort of you know a minor public school back in the, it was quite a haughty, kind of brutal, slight, slightly brutal sort of place. Um, bit bullying, I feel. Um, also, when I was a dive master, um, the people, the, the culture of that particular dive school was, I felt, a little bit macho. Um, yeah, a little bit toxic from that point of view. Um, but actually, was it, probably, like, was it like that? The uh, is it Cobra Kai, the one from? Yeah, Karate it was. Kid? It was not dissimilar. It wasn't. Exact, 
Yeah, it wasn't that quite that bad, but it wasn't far off. But I actually, I think, I think there's various reasons. But one of the reasons was I think the leader of the of this dive school was a pretty awful person, to be honest. Mm. Um, was the SOP if someone got in difficulty underwater, you just left them there? Leave them. Leave them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good. Um, yeah, and then and probably the worst environment which I've ever ever operated, and I have to be very careful what I say, but. I recently started working in the area of PR, okay, and communications. And oh my God, they're just, I'll just whisper it so no one, they are the most awful people. And and I, I as an example, I, I, funny enough, last, it's not strictly connected, but if you're familiar, and I know you are, with Black Mirror and that episode, Nosedive, yeah? Um, Which one's that? Know, give it, give it's the us. one where it's all kind of social media world and you rank people oh yeah yes, yes. and and everyone's just super 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 nice to everyone else yeah. but it's super massively super fake nice, and yeah. and they're actually probably pretty v- vapid awful people well i'll leave it there um so um so yeah um those are my examples but just to be clear that's not your current employer no they're it's the best. not definitely yeah. they are the best exactly yeah, it's right, not okay. at all um nicest environment most collaborative probably as you know uh, uh, until a couple of years ago i ran this community of filmmakers and we would get together every sort of six months or a year or whatever and that was just a lovely community of people and i think what made it so great was that we we've shared interests shared values but also very collaborative working together in something we all enjoyed and just wonderful wonderful i loved it um yeah those are mine um either of you pipe up if you like um well i'll start well uh, so the the i think the the minor public school that i went to i thought was one of the most nurturing environments i've ever experienced i really loved it, and it mm. there were times yeah there were times when there were other kids who were you know trying to be a bit bullying but they were they weren't very good at it and it was generally very nice and teachers were mm. great and loved it same with the university i thought it was really good really well set up and very mm. accessible kind of professors and, and seniors within the department and felt great um but mo- but the the most it was my time in um doing reserve forces i thought the army setup is really really good at dealing mm. with junior people and mm. nurturing them and is extremely good at interdicting any kind of bullying behavior um, it, that was certainly my experience. I know it's not the same for everybody, but it was it, that that I thought was great. In terms yeah. of toxic environments, maybe it's not. So I, I, towards the latter part of my career, I really struggled with the civil service. Not because people were mean or difficult. That was a very nurturing environment as well. But just because the the organisation itself was quite sick, um, mm. and I, I I became quite disillusioned with with um, the whole thing, particularly because my interest was not necessarily was 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 in like improving the way things are done in order to make the organization better at doing what it's supposed to be doing and it was just it just it's just from an organizational emergent property is that it's got no interest in doing that because mm. it, it 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 doesn't you don't rock the boat you don't change things unless they need changing basically you don't do anything until something massively cocks up okay. uh, <laughs> rather than trying to fix it before it's going to cock up yeah uh nick a couple of things yeah i think i'm gonna pick ones that are interesting uh inversions of what you might expect which is uh the world of face-to-face poker and uh the being in a professional choir 
So I was I, right. Uh, so the poker players are actually super nice, and the choirs yeah, are a bunch of. That's gits. where I'm going with this. When I was yeah. when I was I, I had a music scholarship, which involved being in one of London's top choirs, which was the mm. Temple Church Choir, and um, it was. Uh, I, I hated it. I mean, it was um, it was a lot of work. So I had to go for an hour and a half every every after school every day, Oof, you know, most weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, because you'd wow. be doing the weddings on the Saturdays. You had a kind of, um, you know, enforced hierarchy of, of uh, you know, mm. within the choir, who the who the um, soloists were. You, you had this weird um, Zimbardo prison experiment style of having two separate squads of choristers, one of which was Decani and one of which was Cantorus. And uh, right. and and, you know, they, they were sort of a de facto um, little uh, tribe. Mm. Um, and uh, the big and of course, you had this spread of of kids from sort of 10 through to about 13 and that is quite a significant difference at that age mm. and they there was this ritual called a robes coveting which isn't as sexual as you might think uh, but what would happen is they'd get a small kid the big kids would pick a small kid and drag them into the robes cupboard which was you know oh probably God. about three feet square and yeah. give them a, a, a like a massive pummeling um yeah. in the darkness of the robes cupboard and uh and uh yeah so that the, that no was wonder really, you've turned out like you, you know, are nick exactly it's yeah. not your fault <laughs> no it's all the kids i used to give a robes cupboarding to um <laughs> They hurt my fist on more than one occasion. Yeah. Um, and then in contrast, like the, 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 the world of, of poker, which you might expect. So face to face poker. I mean, it was a this was at the beginning of the poker boom back in the mid 2000s. And uh, I discovered a club called the Gut Shot, which I don't think is there anymore. And, and um, you know, it's just opened when I joined. Uh, but there were still people who looked like they'd been there for 20 years, you know, grizzled mm. regulars. And um, it was really forbidding, like, uh, you know, incredibly um uh, intimidating atmosphere sitting down with a bunch of people poker is meant to feel like that a bit but you know you sort of had to know what you were doing uh you were expected to know how to bet and you know what mm. to say and what not to say and how mm. not to behave but they were lovely as soon as you passed that bar you know mm. and you were sitting down with them you you could you know chat about all kinds of stuff you weren't talking about your hand you know you could ask for advice what should i've done and you know what would you have done here and uh, mm. why are you playing this way and and um actually it was a really like a lot of camaraderie given that you're all playing each other and trying to win each other's money still quite a lot of um you know really nice uh people there so so yeah those are my I, examples i think it goes back to that shared value shared interest kind of thing mm. right um but yeah interesting okay great that's um yeah it's quite a long one we've done there um so so we'll stop there um as always thanks for listening uh, if you've any thoughts or suggestions for topics you can email us at podcast at com. we'd love to hear from you if you've enjoyed the podcast yeah what should people do um nick if people like the podcast I'll hit the like button, but no noobs down any scrubs in our <laughs> podcast gang. Yeah, that's right. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. I'm Fraser McGrow. We've been here with Peter Coggle and Nick Hare of Alive Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.